WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noam Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noam on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 10th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mix of sun and clouds today. Slight chance of a shower. The high 65. Tonight, overnight, a few clouds. Clouds low 53 and then Wednesday sunshine high 70. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 51 partly cloudy in Ocean Beach out on Long Island, 47 and clear in Hamilton down in central New Jersey. And it is 52 and partly cloudy here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up six o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning, as we did yesterday, we'll start with the conflict in Israel, which has just been a huge story, of course, uh, since it took place on Saturday. And somebody who's been guiding us through this over the last 48 hours is Alex Trayman. He's the CEO in Jerusalem Bureau Chief of Jewish News Syndicate. He is in Jerusalem, and he joins us live on the Newsmaker Line. Good morning, Alex. Good morning to you. Thank you. Thanks, sir, again, for coming on uh, with us. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Jerusalem. I guess it's this afternoon, your time. Uh, have the, more missiles come your way over the last day? We haven't heard uh, too many missiles and coming towards Jerusalem in the last uh, 18 hours or so, uh, but there have been many rockets fired uh, at Israeli population centers uh, near the Gaza border and also up and down uh, the Israeli coast. Remember, Gaza is on the Mediterranean coast, and actually most of Israel's population lives uh, within a small, within a, a thin area up, up and down the coast, so they fire these Qassam rockets. You know, basically they're not they're not that sophisticated. So they just fire them in the direction of Israeli population centers and see where they'll land. Uh, so they fire most of them in in the direction of uh, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Tel Aviv. And the military has gone in in a big way over the last two days. So where are they able to fire these rockets off from? Are are there sort of secret places the military haven't figured out about? Right. Uh, so the Israeli Air Force has commenced a very intensive uh, barrage from the air. Uh, but a lot of these Qassam rockets, they're, they're rudimentary rockets, and they can be launched from uh, mobile uh, launchers. And uh, the IDF doesn't can't target all of the little individual launchers. They're certainly trying to take out uh, as much of the capacity as possible, but still uh, – there are many that remain uh, in active uh, active use, and of course, they also are hiding as much of this equipment uh, in private homes, uh, occasionally in, in schools and hospitals and mosques. Uh, historically, so you know the, the the IDF needs to have very specific intelligence over where these things are located if they want to take them out. And have any of these rockets over the last day done any damage? Have they hit targets? Oh, absolutely. Yes, they they have. Uh, again, they're not necessarily targets. They, they hit where they hit. Uh, one happened to hit a hospital uh, in Ashkelon. It actually hit a pedestrian bridge between two buildings. Uh, nobody was, was injured, but it was a direct hit on a hospital. Uh, was a hit in a uh, in an Orthodox Jewish town um, a few miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, there was a hit in, in Bnei Brak in an Israeli city, and uh, in a few in Stay Road, there was also a hit. So 
you know, the Iron Dome defense system shoots uh, anywhere between 90 and 95 percent of these out of the sky. But when you are shooting 10,000 rockets uh, towards Israel, you know, 90 percent hit rate is still going to leave the possibility that some are going to hit. We've been hearing so much about how many hostages were taken and how many were taken into Gaza. Is there any firm number? And what do we know about these hostages today? Well, it's it's understood that it's over 100. Uh, the the IDF now has uh, someone in charge of dealing specifically with the hostage situation, and they've uh, reported that they've been in contact with over 50 of the families. Uh, you know, they don't really know necessarily know how many of these hostages are are dead or alive at this point. Um, and obviously, this is the, one of the, the the largest considerations that that the IDF and the political establishment have to deal with, because they obviously want to go in and, and dismantle Hamas at this point, uh, but at the same time, they they want to rescue as many of these hostages as possible. Um, but you know, Hamas has been building this uh, infrastructure of tunnels. Uh, deep underground for the last several years, and there's a good chance that uh, hostages may be deep down inside these tunnels. These tunnels can be booby-trapped, could be hard to bomb uh, from the sky. Uh, so there's still a lot of work to do to assess you know, just how many hostages there are alive and, and how to get them out, if at all possible. We have heard threats from Hamas that they will start executing uh, hostages one by one in an attempt to prevent the the IDF from launching a ground incursion into the Gaza Strip, which could be impending any moment, uh, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. We're not sure yet. Uh, but I have a sense that if uh, videos of these uh, murder, barbaric murder of hostages uh, continue to circulate, I, I don't think that would be a deterrent uh, for the for the IDF. Quite the opposite. I think it would be uh, it, it would. It would demonstrate to the world the, the barbarian nature of Hamas and the need uh, to go in hard and to dismantle them as a political entity altogether. Do we know if there's any truth? Uh, there had been a report that maybe the Mossad or somebody like that had videos of soldiers who may have been beheaded. Have you heard that story? Yeah, we have heard uh, reports that there are pictures of soldiers uh, beheaded. Uh, we've seen horrific videos and pictures uh, so far you know, since Saturday morning circulating on, on all kind of social media. You know, a lot of times it's it's Hamas themselves that are putting out the videos. They're the ones that want these videos to be seen. Um, and uh, we, we do understand that there are, are even more horrific uh, pictures and videos that, that we haven't seen. And, and even though we have heard already official reports that there's uh, over 900 dead, the likelihood is that it's, uh, it's the numbers are even now much higher uh, and um, you know, is likely to get higher in the coming days, especially if ground, if a ground operation commences within, you know, what is likely to be a highly booby-trapped uh, urban environment in the Gaza Strip. Talking with uh, Alex Trayman, he's the CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. You can check them out, like I have, for sure, intensely over the last couple of days at JNS.org. WABC News Time 509 on our newsmaker line, Alex Trayman, the CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. It's JNS.org. Great job covering everything that's going on in Israel. Check out that website. So, um, 
Alex, so many Americans are watching this, of course, in disgust of what took place on Saturday, but don't totally understand the conflict. Now, I know it's a very complicated thing, but what does Gaza look like today? Or maybe let's go back 48 hours before the bombing began. Uh, how, what's life like for people who live in Gaza? Well, Gaza is a very densely populated uh, small strip, something about uh, two miles wide and maybe uh, you know, 10 to 15 miles long along the Mediterranean coast in the southwest uh, corner of Israel. Uh, it's, it's controlled by Hamas. There's as many as uh, two million Gazans living there. It's, it's primarily uh, more of an urban environment. Uh, and you can imagine that when you have a terrorist organization that is uh, running the affairs of that strip, and they're the ones responsible for education, for garbage collection, uh, power, uh, and yet they divert uh, so much of the limited capital that comes in, much of which comes from the Qataris or others, uh, towards the building of tunnels, towards the the building of rockets, using construction equipment that comes in, you know, for tunnels. You know, the, the Hamas has spent billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, on tunnels and on rockets. And, and if you think about it, until, until Saturday, really, all the spending of this money has been an abject military disaster because uh, while they fired a lot of rockets and they built all these tunnels, they really have never had the type of military impact uh, that they were hoping for. But on, on Saturday, of course, uh, I guess uh, fortune swung in their favor, uh, whatever that means. And uh, they, they've taken out over a thousand Israelis in, in just a, a few hours and, and injured as many as 2,600 others. And the part that's so confusing for so many and maybe is like the billion dollar question is what is their ultimate goal? I mean, obviously, clearly it was to take out as many Israelis as possible, unfortunately, on Saturday. But now, of course, they knew there was going to be retaliation and it only makes life more miserable for the people in Gaza. So what is Hamas's ultimate goal? Well, it seems that the ultimate goal was to kidnap some Israelis and bring them across the border. I, I get the sense that they didn't expect that they would have been half as uh, successful as they were because they, they never have been in the past. And, and the Israeli security around the border is is so tight. I mean, there's so many layers of security, both on the low-tech and the high-tech level. Um, and, you know, once they got in and in large numbers and they just they just had a field day and and I don't necessarily think that they thought they would be so successful and I don't I think that if they had a few hostages they 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 were hoping that they could extract some concessions maybe some prisoner releases or you know to you know, to, to claim some sort of uh you know military victory uh by using the the human capital of the hostages but at this point the, their attack was so successful uh, that they've really left Israel no choice, and th- there's a very, very good chance that Israel is going to completely decimate Hamas as an entity and, and leaving the Gaza Strip uh, in a major humanitarian crisis and without any political leadership there. And we, we have to think, you know, what are, are Israel's goals uh, for the day after Hamas in the Strip? Does it mean that Israel goes back in as a, as a military power uh, and stays inside the Strip and, and actually... Um, collects the garbage and 
tries to pick up the pieces there for the Gazan people? Uh, do they hand it over to the Palestinian Authority? Uh, these are the questions that are going to need to be answered in the coming uh, weeks and months. Tell me uh, what life is like in Israel today. I know our kids back in school. Is there any sort of regularity for people who are in the rest of the country, maybe up north in places like Haifa or in Tel Aviv or, or people home on TV watching this all? Or home at home on their couch watching on TV, I should say. The the schools are closed. The supermarkets and things like that are open. Traffic on the streets is is greatly reduced. Uh, but you mentioned the north, and uh, I've read reports this morning that uh, in communities that are in what's called the in, in the in the Galil, the, the Galilee, which is just to the south of the border with Lebanon, that there's been uh, a major flow of. Uh, citizens there out of those areas Um, in some communities as many of 90 percent of the people packed up and started heading south toward the middle of the country which means that the the idf uh, and the the residents in that area are are extremely worried about the potential of an opening along the the northern front uh, in which israel would be fighting both against hamas and gaza to the south and hezbollah uh, in southern Lebanon to Israel's north at the same time. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a worst-case scenario. Now, on the one hand, it's a worst-case scenario. On the other hand, it, it does feel like Israel senses that the time is now to take out these terror organizations, that the, we've kicked the can down the road uh, for too long. We've allowed these terror organizations to amass uh, too many weapons, particularly uh, in the north, where Hezbollah has as many as 150,000 rockets pointed at Israel. And these rockets are not the Qassam rockets of Gaza. Many of them uh, are long-range, precision-guided, uh, have uh, can deliver much higher payloads. So if they start firing... Uh, they're likely to inflict uh, much, much more damage uh, than the Qassam rockets from the south can inflict. And, uh, you know, if, if momentum is on Israel's side and if Hezbollah you know, want, it is demonstrating that they want to get involved, and there's already been skirmishes across the border, Hezbollah has already sent a, a drone over uh, the Israeli community of Sfat that was shot out of the sky. Uh, there's been reports of, uh, of in, uh, infiltration. Uh, so... You know, it, at this point, it, all it takes is, you know, one big wrong thing to happen on either side, and, and you could see very quickly the opening of a, of a major second front. One last question for you, Alex, and thanks so much for giving so much of your time because I know you're busy. How are you holding up? I mean, you're covering this, but, of course, you have family and extended family. I imagine some people who have been called up in the uh, military reserves. How are you handling all this? How are you making it through? Well, you know, I'll just tell you, we're running a, a media company, and obviously we have reporters that are working overtime, but we have uh, other departments. And, you know, yesterday I was on the phone with one of my senior colleagues uh, whose 18-year-old son was just drafted into the Army several months ago and is now uh, on the Gaza border and uh, was was getting reports from, from her son that uh, they were – they were like 10 of them shooting against uh, 50 terrorists and they, they actually mowed down all the terrorists. But, uh, you know, she was on the phone crying hysterically, you know, that, that worried obviously about the safety of her son. You know, I have another senior colleague that is a recent immigrant to Israel from Mexico and she and her children and her, her parents, her older parents, they got on an emergency flight to Mexico because the whole family was, was flipping out and the government was able to, to arrange a flight. So, you know, it's, it's very, very real uh, for Israelis. Uh, Israelis have been hitting the supermarkets and clearing the shelves. There's been all kind of reports that uh, 
in the coming days or weeks that electricity could be out, uh, that food supply uh, could be dwindling. And so, you know, Israelis are, are really uh, girding up for a worst-case scenario, and, and everybody's dealing with it in, in their own uh, often not ideal way. My best to you and your extended family, uh, Alex Trayman, CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. Check out uh, the great journalism they're doing at JNS.org. And Alex, thanks again so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. 517, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Alley. Thank you, Noam all and Start here on the gridiron. The Raiders beat the Green Bay Packers 70-13. to Last night in Vegas on Monday Night Football to wrap up Week 5 action. The Raiders' offense uh, did just enough. Jimmy Garoppolo completing 22 of 31 passes for 208 yards and a touchdown while throwing his NFL-high seventh interception. Jacoby Myers caught seven passes for 75 yards and a TD. And former Packer Devontae Adams had four catches for 45 yards. Struggles did continue for Packers QB Jordan Love. He was 16 of 30 for 182 yards and three picks. He has thrown five interceptions in the past two games, and, well, that's too many. Over now to the MLB playoffs, where the Phillies and Braves are currently tied one game apiece in the NLDS after Atlanta's 5-4 comeback win in Game 2 yesterday. The Dodgers have dug themselves into an 0-2 hole after yesterday's 4-2 Game 2 loss to the Diamondbacks in the other NLDS. Out in the AL, the Astros are tied at a game apiece with the Twins, as Game 3 of that ALDS is set for this afternoon at 4.07 p.m. As for the remaining uh, division series in the AL, the Rangers have a two-game advantage on the Orioles. Heading into that game, three set for tonight at 8.03 p.m. Eastern time with Texas eyeing a serious sweep there. No, I'm Sports, and I'm Justin Ollick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 520. Of course, there's so many connections between New York City and Israel, so it is not surprising, unfortunately, to hear that at least 11 of the dead are thought to be Americans. And we heard some distressing news last night from Long Island. A recent graduate of the Solomon Schechter School of Long Island in Williston Park is believed to be one of the hostages that was taken over into Gaza. The rabbi of the synagogue there making the announcement during a prayer service for Israel last night. One of the hostages is a recent graduate of the Solomon Schechter School of Long Island. All right, so they're not releasing the man's name. This is really all out of protection for him and for his family. Of course, people coming out of this service last night were shocked to hear that news and, of course, just outraged about everything going on. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see the atrocities committed against innocent Israelis. Members of the Merrick Jewish Center, members of the Merrick community in Nassau County, Long Island, uh, have very strong, deep ties, connections to Israel, and it's a very personal relationship. Yeah, our best goes out to that Long Island family. That taking place as there were dueling rallies on Manhattan's east side yesterday, a large pro-Palestinian march moving north. North 42nd Street on 3rd Avenue. That's near where the Israeli consulate is. Meantime, there's another large crowd with equally strong feelings in support of Israel that gathered outside the Israeli consulate as well. Uh, you can imagine heavy police presence everywhere yesterday. They're raising Hamas flag. It's a, it's a terror organization. How can you raise Hamas 
flag in the middle of my net and tell me. Last night, a prayer service in Brooklyn. Rabbi Modi Seligson uh, says thousands showing up Eastern Parkway. We need everyone's support. We need everyone to do good deeds, to have Israel in your prayers, and we're going to prevail. And then you had regular New Yorkers out on the street trying to sort of get their head around this entire thing, talking about the kidnapping of civilians and soldiers, uh, the outright murder of people on the street Saturday. You know, they're grabbing people and they're throwing on motorcycles and just killing people for nothing. It's terrible. Innocent people and ch- children and women. Disaster. We're standing in Israel because they're attacking them. A lot of New Yorkers say it is Israel's 9-11, and so they can really understand the shock and the depression that Israelis might be feeling today. That's what you get when you give Iran $6 billion. Of course, Iran is one of the biggest sponsors of terrorism, and they use the money to sponsor this attack. Yeah, some of it being the blame game against the Biden administration, uh, former President Obama. Palestinians, they should have their own country, so this will solve the problem. Palestinians are always free to live in Israel and uh, be Israeli citizens. That is uh, law enforcement. Been stepping up security big time, actually. Uh, no specific threats to New York following those Hamas attacks, but of course, the NYP not taking any chances. Uh, Mayor Adams says they've increased patrols at synagogues, other areas of concern. We're looking at those sensitive locations that we have already been aware of. We're looking at those communities where you have a large amount of visible Jewish population like Williamsburg, Ballpark, out in the Rockaways. No credible th- threats, but if something was to rise that we get knowledge of, we move quickly. Yeah, uh, Mayor Adams says the NYPD is ready. The police commissioner and his entire leadership team, uh, we have uh, done some things that are going to be visible, but there's also the intel and invisible action that we're going to put in place. All right, so, of course, keep it here, 77 WABC, for everything you know about what is taking place uh, in Gaza today and what is taking place in Israel as well. Other news, uh, Border Patrol down in uh, the U.S.-Mexico border has caught more than 200,000 illegal immigrants who crossed the border in September. Experts say there's no sign, by the way, that that surge is slowing down. Some areas are being hit, and then we have other areas that are just the calm before the storm. That's uh, Clint McDonald. He heads the Border Sheriff's Coalition. September's arrest total, he says, is the highest since last December. And he said that was pretty high. We know that they're gathering, but where the cartels or the government will send them, we don't know that. Unfortunately, a lot of the smaller communities along the international border are not equipped to handle large groups. Tens of thousands of more migrants being allowed to live and work in the U.S. until they plead their case before a judge. They say that's added to the massive backlog in the immigration court system, of course, uh, down there. And, of course, here in New York as well, where so many have come, more than 130,000 over the last year. President Biden has been interviewed by the special counsel leading an investigation into the handling of classified documents. In a statement, the White House said the voluntary interview was conducted at the White House Sunday and Monday. It adds that Biden and the White House are cooperating with the probe and being transparent. Special counsel Robert Hur was appointed earlier this year after classified materials from Biden's time as vice president were found at his Delaware home and at an old office in Washington, D.C. I'm Mark Mayfield. Another group of Starlink Internet satellites orbiting the Earth after a SpaceX rocket launch from California's central coast. Three, two, one, ignition. 
And liftoff. SpaceX conducted a successful Falcon 9 rocket launch from uh, Vandenberg Space Force Base. This was about 1223 in the morning. The payload, another 21 Starlink satellites, the particular rocket that was used, flew in its 14th mission. Let's take a look at uh, Wall Street on the day. Uh, the opening bell rings this morning after stocks staged a comeback in volatile trading yesterday. Defense shares and oil stocks led the major indexes higher after the markets were down earlier in the day. Rising geopolitical tensions over the deadly Israel-Hamas conflict rattled markets to start the session. Uh, Halliburton Marathon Oil, uh, ConocoPhillips were the biggest energy winners yesterday. Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman also posted gains. At the closing bell, the Dow gained 197 points. S&P 500 added 27. NASDAQ rose 52 points. Station tells you the truth about what's going on. We are WABC. Entertaining and informative. And we've got the best lineup in talk radio. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 531. Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 10th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mix of sun and clouds today. Slight chance of a shower, the high 65. Tonight, overnight, a few clouds, low 53. And then Wednesday, sunshine, high 70. If you are walking out the door with us right now, 51 and partly cloudy in Ocean Beach out on Long Island. 47 and clear in Hamilton in New Jersey. And it is 51 with a few clouds here in Midtown. We'll start this hour in Midtown. Yesterday, we had an awful lot of fun at the Columbus Day Parade. Did you stop by our tent? We were at 59th and 5th Avenue. I think personally myself, I gave out about 20,000 cookies, Uncle Giuseppe's cookies from the supermarket there. (laughs) People in the crowd, uh, people on floats. It was just an enormous amount of fun. I'm just proud to be an Italian-American. My my parents came here from Italy, so it's important to continue traditions. And this is our tradition. Being a part of this whole... uh, New York City experience, having the parade here, it's just a great thing. Yeah, 100 organizations, a dozen marching bands, 18 floats, uh, including the WABC trolley, which was unveiled for the very first time yesterday. I feel like this day still represents for me something about culture and history and just like a feeling of connectedness to each other and people. Yeah, we asked Italians at the uh, march what makes them so proud to be Italian. Love, family, tradition, good food, the good company, the parties, dancing. Italians contributed 100,000% to building America. We are rich in history, art, culture. We're good people. Yeah, it was an enormously fun event. And thanks to the crew uh, that put that all together. I just got to show up and hand out cookies, but lots of planning goes in. They did a fantastic job at the booth of 59th and 5th Avenue, WABC. A man arrested yesterday after jumping into the reflecting pool at the 9-11 Memorial. 
that's a huge jump. It's like 45 feet down. If you've been there, you can visualize what it might mean to jump into that. The incident unfolded about 1.30 in the afternoon. Police called to the North Pool. They found that this 33-year-old had jumped in. An emergency medical services team somehow helped the man uh, get out of there who injured his left leg. I mean, it's amazing he wasn't more hurt. Uh, They put him back into an ambulance, took him to Bellevue Hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, Charges are pending. Why did he jump into the pool? Why was he there? Those answers, those questions, we do not have the answers to. Let's go out to New Jersey at 534. New Jersey's controversial bear hunt returned yesterday. They're back in the woods this morning. The archery segment of the hunt will run until October 14th. The way station is located in uh, Newton, New Jersey. Hunters must bring their catch to one of these posts to be recorded. The uh, Fish and Game Council really pushing back against some of these protesters who showed up yesterday upset that there is a bear hunt. And they say the hunt is the right way to go. Our overall goal in for management of this species is to maintain a robust population in New Jersey, a population that can coexist with humans. Staunch opponents like animal rights activist, former state senator Ray Lesniak, uh, fighting in court to stop this and uh, fighting out in the woods to try and stop it. We're killing bears when there's no reason to do that. There are half the number of bears that the Fish and Game Council say it. But Fish and Game pushing back against those numbers the former senator gave out. New Jersey's the most densely populated state. In some areas, we have the highest bear density in the country. And so when you have a high bear density and high human density, you run into a situation where you have a lot of bear-human interaction. Yeah, they want hunters to take about 20% of the black bear population. They say that 20% is enough to cut down on negative bear-human encounters. Last year's hunt was only half the scene, uh, half the season, I should say, but Fish and Game says it did make a difference in the end. This year we saw a slight reduction in incidents following the hunt. When the hunt was closed, we saw an increase in bear-human incidents. So the hunt is planned uh, for the 14th, and then there'll be a second one in December from the 4th to the 9th. Let's bring it back into the city while we talk about animals. Animal Care Centers of New York City in a crisis, the shelter says it can no longer accept dogs because it's run out of room to care for them. Remember during the pandemic? Everybody wanted a dog, and we emptied out all these shelters. I mean, none of these places had dogs. Now, as people return to work over the last year, guess what? They've been giving up their dogs. Since the system is over capacity, the centers are suspending the new dog intakes and focusing on caring for the animals that are already in the shelter. But uh, they want you to know, Animal Care Centers of New York, that they're open for adoptions and will resume taking in dogs as soon as space opens up again. WABC News Time 538. Uh, Oscar Mora, he's a Queens resident. Back on September 25th, it was um, Daughter's Day. I think this is like an online thing where you're supposed to celebrate your daughters. So uh, he decided to celebrate his own daughter and he was going to go out and get some donuts for her in the morning. And as the 41-year-old took to the streets of Queens, out of nowhere, this guy just randomly attacked him. It was a really violent attack. And now he's told us that he has lost sight in one of his eyes. I mean, it's just awful. I got up and went to get donuts from my daughter, but I didn't arrive to get to Dunkin' Donuts. I noticed that there was a gentleman there. He had thrown something at me. It was a sharp object. 
and um, he basically ruptured my my eye. Yeah, so there was thought that uh, he would they'd be able to save his eye, but now he says no, he's gone blind in that eye. What have the doctors told you? Um, to learn how to live with one eye. I believe in God. Yeah, so you can hear he's upset there. Police releasing a still photo of this unidentified creep uh, who uh, injured this guy from a still frame taken from a surveillance video in the area. But so far, they have not caught up with that guy. Out to Long Island, police say they will not charge a Smithtown school bus driver fired last week for driving students while drinking an alcohol seltzer uh, beverage. Sometimes there's more to the story, and that's the case here. The driver... Amal Hanna telling News 12 that she took the drink from the refrigerator that she shares with her roommate, not realizing that it was a white claw. Now, white claw, if you're not familiar, is like the hip drink among uh, 20s and 30-year-olds. I mean, I kind of like one, too. Contains alcohol and a little fruit juice and seltzer in it. Well, she grabbed that, and she put it next to her on the bus and was sipping on it. Normally, I take a snack and food because the chemo... I have to eat and stuff, and I'm working late. Yeah, so she has cancer. She's going through chemotherapy. She's 60 years old, has been a bus driver for 15 years, and some of the side effects of chemo is it affects your sense of taste. So she says she doesn't drink alcohol, and she didn't realize she was drinking alcohol because... Uh, she didn't know that it was even an alcoholic beverage. So police investigated this, and they say, yeah, they believe her, that she just made an honest mistake. But the bus company uh, has fired her, and they say they're not going to give her her job back. Uh, some parents initially, well, here were parents initially right after she was uh, pulled over when a student reported her for having the white claw on the bus, saying they wanted this woman fired. I think it's crazy, and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, that's not good. Not at all. Yeah, especially with the kids on the bus. It's terrible. It, sh- it shouldn't happen. My daughter's a teacher, and she would never allow that. Yeah, so now some parents from Smithtown High West, that's where the woman drives the bus, rethinking that when they hear that this was an accident and say this woman had been enormously careful with their kids for years and that she should get her job back. And now, of course, she's fighting cancer with no job, and she's begging for her job back. But people like me, they don't drink. I love my company. My company is so good to people. I'm fired. I'm getting in the street because of mistake. Yeah, I mean, uh, sounds like maybe she should get her job. I've got police not charging her. They say that it was an honest mistake. Now we'll have to see if she does get that job back. While we're out on Long Island, Southampton police say they arrested two people Monday for living in someone else's home and selling their furniture for months. This is why maybe you should put a doorbell camera outside your door. So it is a family who only lives part-time in this Southampton house. I'm assuming it's a vacation home. Maybe they're there for the summer. Well, these two people, a couple, a 48-year-old Antonio Wilson and 47-year-old Donna Miller, moved into the house maybe as early as June. So I guess they were there over the summer. And uh, as they lived there, they slowly started selling items from this house, expensive ones, TVs, lamps, end tables, glassware. On the side of the road, they leave it out after they had sold it. Well, one of the neighbors started to say, wait a minute, what's going on here? I haven't seen my neighbors in forever. And now they're slowly selling pieces off of furniture. So they called the cops and the cops investigated and realized, oh, no, no, 
These people don't live in the house. They just have taken over the house and pretending like it is theirs. And uh, not only that, but when they investigated this 48-year-old, they realized that uh, he had been involved in a holdup of a gas station nearby. So here were police uh, talking to News 12 yesterday saying, hey, if you're somebody who uses a home as a vacation home, you might want a doorbell camera on at anyone just to make sure that nobody's fooling around inside when you're not there. Know how to use them. Um, a lot of people will hire a company to come in, which is great, and set it up. Um, but they don't always know how to work the system themselves. If you can get to know your neighbors that are out there full time. Yeah. Good idea. Uh, Yesterday, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announced that he's running as an independent, leaving the Democratic Party, giving a speech in Philadelphia. Uh, You know, the birthplace, I guess, of America. Here he was uh, talking about how hard it is to leave the Democratic Party. Of course, his family so closely aligned with Democrats. I haven't made this decision lightly. It's very painful for me to let go of the party of my uncle's my father, my my grandfather, and both of my great-grandfathers, Honey Fitz, Fitzgerald, and Patrick, who was the first Irish Catholic ghetto mayor of Boston, and Patrick Kennedy, who was a ward boss in Boston. Both of them launched our political dynasty over 100 years ago. But my sacrifice is nothing compared to the risk our founding fathers took when they signed the Declaration of Independence 247 years ago. Making this speech outside Constitution Hall, the family, some members pushing back, are not happy that he's left the Democratic Party. The 69-year-old says he wants to be free from taking sides. Of course, the big question is, who will he siphon votes away from, Republicans or Democrats? Or could he ride an independent campaign to the White House, something that nobody has done since the late 1800s? 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellis. Thank you, Noah Malayden. Start here in football. The Raiders beat the Green Bay Packers 17-13 to last night in Vegas on Monday Night Football to wrap up Week 5 action. The Raiders offense did just enough with Jimmy Garoppolo completing 22 of 31 passes for 208 yards and a touchdown while throwing his NFL high 7th interception. A little tale of two stories there. Jacoby Myers caught seven passes for 75 yards and a touchdown. And former Packer Devontae Adams had four catches for 45 yards. Struggles did continue for Packers QB Jordan Love, who was 16 of 30 for 182 yards and three picks. He's thrown five interceptions in the past two games, and you're just not going to win that way in this league. Over now to the MLB playoffs, where the Phillies and Braves are currently tied one game apiece in the NLDS after Atlanta's 5-4 comeback win in Game 2 yesterday. The Dodgers have dug themselves into an 0-2 hole after yesterday's 4-2 Game 2 loss to the Diamondbacks in the other division series in the National League. Out in the AL, the Astros are tied at a game apiece with the Twins as Game 3 of that ALDS is set for this afternoon at 4.07 p.m. Eastern Time. As for the remaining division series in the American League, the Rangers have a two-game advantage on the Orioles. Heading into that game, three set for tonight at 8.03 p.m. Eastern Time with Texas in a series sweep over the 100-win Orioles.
got to be rooting for the Orioles, I guess, right? They haven't been in the playoffs for a while, no? Well, they're an AL East team where your Yankees play. I think you you know, you know root for another AL East team I don't if know your about team doesn't yeah, make it. But you can also make the argument going the other way. They're an AL East rival. Why would you Why would you root for them? Well, look, the Yankees sucks, so and now you got to root for the <laughs> Orioles. It's, it's not a like, hard decision to make. Okay, fine. I mean, they're not in it. If the Yankees win it, then you'd be rooting for the Yankees, of course. I guess. <laughs> I think I'm just I'm, I'm rooting for the Phillies. Oh, right. Well, why not? Yeah. Oh, shocking. Uh, yeah. yeah. They're a fun team to root for. They got they all got cool names too. I like yeah. that Bryson Stott guy. That's a cool name. Yeah, we all hate Philadelphia here. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Got enough. <laughs> no, no, that's your sports and I'm just uh, like being annoying apparently. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Let's head over to Israel. The Israel Defense Forces continue to pound Hamas targets in the Gaza Strip as the war sparked by the Palestinian terrorist group's brutal attack on the Jewish state entered its fourth day. The military says it struck the shaft of an underground tunnel and other assets used by Hamas to penetrate Israeli territory and indiscriminately butcher at least 900 Israeli men, women, and children. Israeli Air Force jets struck a mosque containing Hamas operations in a command center used to coordinate this past weekend's attack. More than 200 sites struck in Gaza overnight. This according to uh, Palestinian residents and those on the Israeli side as well. The IDF on Tuesday released the names of an additional 38 Israeli soldiers killed fighting Hamas, bringing the military death toll alone just since Saturday to 123 Israelis. Uh, while the war rages on, we hear from an Israel Defense Force spokesman giving an update last night. Currently in southern Israel, uh, for the last few hours, we've been able to finally reclaim and uh, regain control over southern Israel. Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu says uh, his country will do to its enemies uh, what will reverberate, he says, for generations. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies. For decades to come. The Prime Minister thanking the U.S. for their support and help. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling. Slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival. Hamas is ISIS. And just as the forces of civilizations united to defeat ISIS, the forces of civilization must support Israel in defeating Hamas. The vice president of an Israel-based volunteer organization that are, are EMTs, essentially, uh, describing what it's been like on the ground for them since Saturday. Well, it's been 48 hours plus, and it's been the most uh, terrifying and stressful uh, event that we've experienced here. Yeah, these are the people racing in to save those lives that they could save on Saturday. So currently we're operating with 1,500 paramedics, EMTs, and doctors on the ground with ambulances in all of the southern region cities and the areas that were struck by the terrorists. We've had volunteers killed and injured as well. It's, 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 it's dangerous. It's scary. But we understand that we need to help these people. 
It's still really a fluid situation, and the numbers are hard to come by. But what we're being told, at least 11 Americans among the dead after those surprise attacks. Here's the State Department spokesman, Matt Miller. We can confirm that there are nine American citizens who have lost their lives uh, as a result of these horrific attacks. Yeah, we can add two more to that total as of this morning. We can confirm that there are nine American citizens who have lost their lives uh, as a result of these horrific attacks. Uh, we obviously extend our condolences, our thoughts are with the victims and their families. We have been offering consular assistance to uh, to the families of those uh, lost Americans and consulting closely with the uh, government of Israel and will continue to do so. And one of the missing and the thought to be kidnapped is a recent graduate of the Solomon Schechter School of Long Island in Williston Park. Uh, this was the announcement that was made during a prayer service for Israel last night to that community. One of the hostages is a recent graduate of the Solomon Schechter School of Long Island. Yeah, you could hear a gasp inside the synagogue as people had not heard about that. They're not identifying him for his protection, for the safety of his family, but people in that synagogue, as you might guess, outraged. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see the atrocities committed against innocent Israelis. Members of the Merritt Jewish Center, members of the Merrick community in Nassau County, Long Island, uh, have very strong, deep ties, connections to Israel, and it's a very personal relationship. Yeah, the numbers just death toll is growing. As we were talking to a reporter, if you were listening earlier this morning, who thinks there'll be at least a thousand Israelis dead at the end of this thing. Uh, 700 on the uh, Gaza side, so numbers rising, unfortunately, on both sides of that border. All right, let's uh, bring it back home. Hollywood A-lister Dwayne The Rock Johnson chiming in after getting backlash for asking people to donate to a Maui wildfire recovery fund. Johnson, who was once a Hawaii resident, posted a video on Instagram addressing the criticism that he received. I get it, and I completely understand, and I could have been better. And next time I will be better. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like he was just trying to do a good thing. But, boy, he got a lot of pushback. Johnson said it was the first time launching a donation fund and that he's learned his lesson. He went on to say that he understands that many Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and don't have the money to give. I don't want to speak for everybody. I'll speak for myself. But I feel it's connected. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, I was easily pissed off and I was frustrated. And the last thing you want to hear when you are living paycheck to paycheck is someone asking you for money, especially when the person asking you for money. Already has a lot of money. Yeah, but he gave a lot of money. Uh, So did Oprah Winfrey. I understand, you know, money ain't falling out of the sky and it's not growing on trees. And there's a lot of people out there who's living paycheck to paycheck. And I get it and I know what that's like. I've lived paycheck to paycheck. Seven bucks. I know. I know what that's like. Yeah. All right. 555. Scientists in Florida naming a newly discovered snail after a Jimmy Buffett song. Wasting away. The Kyle Margarita is a bright yellow worm snail named after the song Margaritaville. It's a type of mollusk that sticks to the surfaces in the coral reef. The report's lead author said the team was no stranger to the regional signature drink or the famous singer. They wanted to reference the color of the drink and the place where it lives. I'm Mark Neefield. I never understood this whole pumpkin thing, but this happens every year. Some of the world's top pumpkin growers get together in Northern California in the World Championship Pumpkin Wayoff. Now, this was the 50th annual, so they've been doing this for a while. Nick Kennedy is from Minnesota. Uh, he was the winner last year with a 2,560-pound pumpkin. I imagine you can't 
carry that on an airplane. So he had to drive from Minnesota to this championship thing. they got a huge plant that supports this. Most people don't understand that oh. this thing's over 2,000 square feet for a plant. Yeah, I'd be worried about just carrying that around. Uh, they're going to, they, by the way, the, the one who wins this pumpkin thing, they get a $30,000 check. So I guess there's something to that. And finally, uh, Jerry Seinfeld hinting that he may might be a new ending to his iconic TV series. Seinfeld telling a crowd at the Wang Theater in Boston this weekend that there might be a re-imaging of the finale. You'll remember how poorly it was received back in 1998. Some saying it was the worst uh, Seinfeld ever. The 69-year-old said something is going to happen that has to do with the ending. He says it hasn't happened yet, but he says Larry David, of course, the co-creator of Seinfeld's on board, and they're working on coming up with a different ending for Seinfeld. So we might get one more finale coming up. That would be fun if that was the case. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.